I'm close to amazed by how far Putin seems to have come in making, throwing his lot with the West. Um, he seems to have, from all the briefings I've gotten, uh, actually uh, stiff-armed his military here and stiff-armed some of the Browns and Reds in the uh, in the uh, um, uh, in his government uh, and out of government, and made a very—I don't think anybody since Peter the Great has made such a significant, at least, initial move to the West. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome. Good Thursday to all of you and happy uh, Ruthless Variety program. That was Joe Biden. Foreign policy mastermind, by the way. Uh, I think it was President Obama who was like, uh, anything Joe touches, basically, he fucks up, right? It, was, it came straight from the source of someone who would know him. And this guy, if there has been any foreign policy issue, Joe Biden has always been on the— 100% exact, wrong. He was like, wait, are you guys trying to kill bin Laden? I don't know. That gets a veto from me, friends. I, I know that guy. And like, look, He's he, the only guy at the table like, no, guys, we can't kill bin Laden. <laughs> I, I know he said some dumb stuff over the last 40 years but like i didn't have him comparing putin to peter the great on yeah. my bingo card right like that that is that that's really amazing some might even say it's doing putin's bidding <laughs> you know some might some might say that some, some cynical people might some say cynical that. people when hunter is hunting around for ukrainian <laughs> contracts oh man well welcome to the program today we've got a great lineup for you we have two guests today pennsylvania senate candidate kathy barnett very interesting interview. You're going to want to stick around for that. And Nate Hockman, he's an ISI fellow at National Review. We brought him in because he's been up in Ottawa covering the Canadian trucker convoy. And so he's and he's written some great stuff. So he's got a great interview. We'll love it. Awesome. Um, should we start with a five star? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, uh, I'll take the first one. It says, Runs on Decaf is the name. Oasis in the Desert. My husband introduced me to the fellas. It's Monday, and I wish it were Tuesday so I could listen to a new episode. So much bad news, it's such a gift to laugh at it. That's what we do. That's, that's what we that's do. we're here. Can't wait for the next live show. We're getting tickets and getting a sitter. Please do. Thank you so much. Great, informative guests. Thanks for your part in saving civilization and restoring liberty. That is, that's oh, yeah. the mission right there. Awesome. I'll I take this, uh, this next one here from Sarah Christine, Supermom. Uh, the title is, Is Megan Kelly on your payroll? <laughs> she should be. <laughs> I will be forever grateful to Megan Kelly for introducing me to this fine program. I appreciate the humor you provide in this weird world we are currently living in. Aside from the laughs, I also thank you for your passionate support of getting our kids unmasked. With the help of you and Megan, I gathered the courage to speak up to principal of my boys' school. That's Man, that's awesome. just so great. Yeah, outstanding. In parenthetical here, I have three nonverbal autistic boys. They attend a private school that deals specifically with special needs kids. Man, super mom was right. Yeah. Totally. yeah, great name. Although I was so grateful they remained open throughout the pandemic, they were still requiring the masks after being beyond frustrated that my boys were making no progress on their social goals. I finally started t talking to other parents. I found out every single one wanted those masks off their kids. I told them all to email the principal. We finally got the email this week that the masks are coming off. Yes, great work. Without the encouragement cool. of all of you, I ne uh, man, I would never have spoken up. So thank you for that and all the laughs and hard-hitting 
animal news that the mainstream <laughs> media just doesn't cover. Keep up the great work. Man, that's why we do this. That what is, a great that was review. Awesome. Outstanding. Outstanding. Uh, un- incredible. All right, we've got one more. Bluebird568, could be me. Recently found the podcast, now one of my favorites. You guys are so much fun to listen to. Parentheses. I do try to overlook the bad language. LOL. Keep <laughs> keep up the good work. You know, you just have to breeze by that shit. Yeah. <laughs> My mom manages to overlook it. She complains to me, but she does. You know, <laughs> it is part of the program. We don't folks. feel good about it, but it no, is. You no, know, it's it's just us, and that's what you get. Yeah. Um, let's start with Ukraine. So the most interesting angle to me on all of this is how the media has tried to contort the Republican party into what's happening on in Ukraine and basically like frame everything in terms of like a bad for Republican or Republicans did something bad or like it's an incredible juxtaposition to try to have a world event like this as a, as an overarching kind of like thing here. It just, uh, I think it, it just shows who the media is the gall of these people to try and yet again, Blame Republicans for something. I mean, uh, on the face of most of this stuff, it's like completely ridiculous because Democrats control the House, the Senate, the White House. Right. They have all the levers of power. But but in this situation, it's very particularly like uh, I'd say it's ballsy of these people, but it really shows how the modern media has become more of propaganda of right. where they will just push out whatever talkers they need the public to get buy in. Yeah, that's what's and happening. It's that's like exactly we, right. we, we have a president right now whose kid was making money in Ukraine with with no experience whatsoever right. in, in, in managing an energy com- uh, company in Ukraine. He had no experience. <laughs> All the dude does is, is basically smoke rocks and, and somehow gets a contract to do this right. in Ukraine. And uh, for years, this media, that now that the Durham investigation is showing us, lied and tried gaslighting the public with this Donald Trump is a KGB agent. But they're trying to blame Republicans for what's happening right now when when for four years under Donald Trump, you didn't have any of this happen. Crimea was taken under Obama right. when Joe Biden was there. Right. Then Joe Biden got his kid a contract at some Ukrainian energy company. And now, guess what? The tanks are back in Ukraine. They're rolling through. Well, yeah. that's And, and the, it's and under Joe Biden's watch, but somehow Republicans are to blame. And the immediate, the gall of these people. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the square they're trying to circle, right? The fact that Russia invaded under Barack Obama and invaded under Joe Biden, but they spent four years saying that Donald Trump's a Russian puppet. Yeah, right. right? So, like, how do they reconcile this? And, and, and here's Politico's attempt. Republicans descend into foreign policy factionalism over <laughs> you're not sure Ukraine stand <laughs> so stupid. I yeah, mean, that's the lead everybody wondered about. Well, did but did anybody think? I mean, okay, let's just take the premise and let's make this entirely political and and how people respond to it. How about the fact that like two thirds of progressive liberals are probably listening to Tucker Carlson's point of view yeah. right. on all this? Is right. that factionalism? Is right. that worth exploring? Like, of course not. Right. It's a political divide because it's Republicans. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, it's just the dumbest damn thing you'll see. And it's everywhere. It's like every newsroom in America is having this discussion about, all right, how do we wedge Republicans into the Ukraine? Well, so, and, 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 and again, just to belabor the point, as I often do, uh, you know, 
the media and the Democrats spent four years saying Donald Trump is Vladimir Putin's puppet. And every time he was overseas <laughs> talking shit about Donald Trump in front of, you know, uh, the U.N. or G7 or w whatever it was. Right. Like our media did that and the Democrats did that. And now that Joe Biden's president again, suddenly they've rediscovered, you know, politics is supposed to stop at the water's edge. You know, we're all on the same team. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right? No, it's amazing how that works. Yeah, back it's, and forth. Yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. But the only thing media cares about is Republicans. And Politico says Republicans are divided. What did the Washington Post write about? Republicans are united. Still, <laughs> Republicans are the story. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Republicans. This is, yeah, this is funny. So it says here, the Washington Post, GOP unites on criticizing Biden. Oh, okay. Like, uh, the GOP has united on criticizing Biden. This is a presidency, folks. More folks have, uh, more Americans have died from COVID while Biden was president and had three vaccines handed to him by Donald Trump. More Americans have died under Biden in one year. More uh, you, the prices on gasoline have skyrocketed under Joe Biden. The prices of groceries have skyrocketed under Joe Biden. His popularity numbers are an all-time low. I think they could be the lowest for any president since we've we've had polling done on yeah. approval rating in the modern era. And they're saying GOP unites. The, the majority of Americans, country. The majority of Americans have united in being like, this guy's a moron. This well, guy's an idiot. So you'll, what you've seen here in this Ukraine coverage is a new tact that the media and the Democrats are exploring, which is that, you know, um, if, if you in any way criticize the Democratic narrative on foreign policy, mm -hmm. you are doing the, bid, the bidding of America's enemies. Yeah, talkers yes. went out of Right, that. right. Yeah. Like, like, like if you say he's not going far enough, you know, there was there was a tweet yesterday that. Uh, some of the Republican, you know, Twitter accounts put out of Joe Biden, you know, turning away from the podium and not taking questions and saying this is what weakness looks like. And then you've got Bill Kristol quote tweeting it and saying, you know, who must have really liked this tweet? Vladimir Putin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just perfect for, for wanting Joe Biden to be more hawkish against yeah. Vladimir Putin. You are now also doing Vladimir Putin's bidding. Well, and, and, and the thing is, you don't have to go very far to see the consistency of Republican voices. Like, sure, you have libertarian strains in the Republican party as you'd have progressive sort of pacifist strains in the democratic party but the vast majority are saying look you have all of these sanctions at your disposal impose them yeah no, no, right? not, not yeah. only not only do we have these sanctions at our disposal ted cruz and senate republicans Thank tried tried, tried to get these sanctions put in place a month ago and the democrats filibustered it they jim crow they jim crow ted cruz a proud latino <laughs> texas senator <laughs> they jim crow they jim crow a lot they do you notice that yeah but I those are good jim crows those are good jim crows right i didn't know there was such a thing yeah, it's apparent when the dems employ it it is it, you it's, know? A, it's a good jim crow. i think that huh. is such a, that. A, an important key point to be made is i mean yet again it counters this whole bullshit narrative that trump was uh you know putin's puppet when joe biden allows nord stream 2 allows Putin to basically corner the market on energy in Eastern Europe while shutting down Keystone XL. He's crippling our own country. We were energy independent. He crippled our own country, let Putin have his pipeline. And 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 the Dems all filibuster Ted Cruz trying to use that yeah. as a lever. When when Kamala had that embarrassing interview where, where the she deterrent. was- yeah. yeah, where she, basically they pointed out that, well, I guess you guys don't have any leverage. And she's just like, uh, yeah, well, of course we don't. We're fucking morons, right? <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about is it's very clear. You know, if, if we're in a situation where, okay, the, the idea is you want to make it hurt as much 
for Putin so he doesn't take an action. Why would you not go after this gusher of a moneymaker for him? Joe Biden was like, yeah, cool. You they approved totally the that. damn thing. And then on the back it. end, on the back end, they want credit right. for Germany shutting it down. Right. Well, and then, and like, they, they I mean, think it. about that. And they, they get it. And they, they get it. it. They get it. There's no, they don't, it, it, look, there is no accountability for Democrats from the press. Thank you. The, it's, it is entirely up to voters to hold them accountable for anything. Uh, every every story like we were talking about earlier is about Republicans. I mean, the the politic Politico had a headline about Republicans. Washington Post had a headline about Republicans. The New York Times headline was about foreign policy rift is emerging in the Republican Party over the Ukraine Russia crisis. <laughs> As if that's anywhere near the news. You know what I mean? You got tanks rolling into Ukraine, it, and it's like, well, what is the Republican Party split right, about it, this? It, right. And and again, unified control in Washington of the de- Democrats. I mean, like if you if the Republicans could somehow controlled Congress at this time, you could make an argument for that story, yeah. right? But like you have every lever of power, and and you and you to your point earlier, you can't arrive there having also witnessed the fact that Democrats Jim Crowed uh-huh. the sanctions thing to begin yeah, with. Right. 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 The, the other thing that you can't overlook is that in 2012, Republicans had a candidate who said, hey, guys, uh, Russia is a problem. And what did the media do? They dunked all over him. Oh, right. totally. Romney said that they were okay, a big... They were like, he, so, Obama made a funny... I really, (laughs) I really want to address that because that video was brought up uh, uh, on Twitter recently of the debate between Barack Obama and Mitt Romney in 2012, where Mitt Romney was like, "Listen, you know, Russia is a threat," and the Democrats and Obama were all trying to dunk um, on on Romney, saying that, "Oh, how is this guy thinking Russia is a threat? This guy's in the Cold War. This is unbelievable." And so that video surfaces again on Twitter. And there were conservatives pointing out, like, okay, you know, where are the Democrats now? And it's incredible. You saw there's replies from, 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 granted, the Twitter libs are just way too online, brain warmed out, as all can be. But the replies were like, well, things are different. Things were different then. <laughs> things were you see? different. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, it's like were... if you could have nipped Hitler in the beer hall, you know what I mean? Like, things are different. You know, <laughs> we were trying we were trying to win an election and the press was helping us. Exactly. Like yeah. th- that's the thing is this they they can get over that like cognitive dissonance that they have in their heads because in in front of them is proof like so much evidence that Dems have just messed up. Right, because the media will paper over all of it for them. And, right? and, and and it's just like a hole in the understanding of like, wait a minute, it's like are we the baddies? You yeah, know what right, I mean? like, right. They to get over that hop. They're basically just like they've already programmed their folks to be like, oh, no, th- uh, things are different. You yeah. Know? Like, Amnesia. It's it's unbelievable. Well, it's the same thing that they did after they lost in Virginia. Right. Where, you know, everybody on CNN's panel was like, well, actually, this is all this does is affirm white supremacy. You know, and <laughs> yeah. Gin, they gin, doubled gin down. up anti CRT nonsense, which isn't real and isn't being taught by your kids. Also, we think it's really good and it should be. Taught. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's like they do. They refuse to look at the heart of the issue and realize they are the ones who made the mistake. I mean, that's it just makes me think like I think their strategy has changed from, you know, typically in elections, you try to win over the majority of voters with I've got the better argument. You know, I've got what can convince more people to get on the bus. They've turned more into just like an enforcement yeah. type of idea where they're like yes we have the wrong ideas but you better fucking believe them or yep. we're going to try to get you to lose your we're job we're going to cancel the business. hell out of you right. well, yeah. and the media will help us do it but listen, exactly. this, that's why so many people listen to the Ruthless Variety program because oh, yeah. we bring you straight information we also bring you the best guests yes and one of our g- guests is hit the big time oh exactly no uh, so the Republicans announced this week that Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds is going to be delivering the GOP response to the Biden State of the Union 
Great choice. I, I love this. You know, she delivered me a pork, uh, a fried pork sandwich infused with butter at the she Iowa did. State Fair. And, you, and you, you thought it was delightful. It was delightful. It was the best gift we received. We received tribute from a few of our uh, guests on the program. Some alcohol, which was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'd, I'd had a few at the point at that point, though, so I was more interested in some food. Uh, uh, the the you butter. Were sweat- yes. You were sweating oh, like a pig. Oh, on that it was year. hot. <laughs> it was hot. I mean, she's she's done such an awesome job. Dude, she's out great. There in Iowa, like her approval numbers are like through the roof. Well, but she's it, done the job. Right, doing the job. In in doing this show, and we've said this numerous times in the variety program. What we've seen in doing a lot of the interviews, and Holmes, you've mentioned this, is like there are governors out there, Republican governors, you know, across the co- this country that are delivering results. Mm-hmm. And so having somebody on like like Kim Reynolds, I think great is, choice is going to be such a great contrast to the ineptitude of the Biden administration, especially because she spends her time talking to real people. Right. right? And, and with these guys, everything they conjure up for the State of the Union is going to be such like media narrative group think yeah. bullshit that it, it is going to be a terrific contrast. Speaking of uh, things that are contrasting, um, did you guys see? Here is my highlight out of the Winter Olympics. <laughs> the absolute highlight. It was kind of a downer of an Olympics. But I, mean, not, I know what topic is coming. I saw, I I, I saw this I headline wait. in the production document. Exactly. And, uh, I, I, I was stunned. Stunned. There was a Finnish skier. His name was Remy Lindholm. And he suffered a grave injury. Uh, he, he's a skier. He does. He does. You know the long kind of the cross country skiing. Yeah. Thing. Uh, he 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 suffered a frozen penis. <laughs> I mean, this is horrific. A penisicle. A penisicle. So, so there's so many layers oh. to this story. It's a 50 kilometer mass start race that started in, in Beijing. This is according to uh, ESPN. Um, and it was shortened to 30 kilometers, but that did little to help Finland's Remy Lindholm, who needed a heat pack at the end of the race to thaw out one particularly sensitive body part. <laughs> and, and, and for the Americans listening, 30 kilometers is 18.6411 miles. <laughs> right, and they, miles. Had, they had to shorten it because I think of the wind chill, It was right? so cold. Yeah. I mean, I'm worried. What's the result? Did they have to shorten it for this poor guy? Like, but but, but he, he, here's, here's there's many layers to this this poor guy. This isn't the first time Remy has suffered this. No. He's done this before. Are you serious? No, no. (laughs) Remy uh, has frozen his penis twice. This is, no. Okay, so uh, first I felt bad for him. He's he's responsible. At this point, I guarantee when he's out there in the woods or wherever they're they're skiing their 18 miles, he's doing something questionable to repeatedly freeze his penis. He has has a, a, a penis that is susceptible to freezing, evidently. I don't know what that says. I don't know what that is. I but feel I, I don't feel bad for it. This dude's. I mean, think about the history of man. How many humans have you heard about that frozen their penis? <laughs> and we're talking about frozen. What's he doing out there? Like frozen, right? He's it's doing not something like, out there. I, I feel bad for him, man. Those they have to wear those tights. I'm assuming there's not a lot of insulation. Well, but dude, he had like 30 other people. He's raised nobody exactly. else had a well, frozen did penis. Did anybody consider that the insulation is in the crotch, not in the top of the leg? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Maybe Remy is the winner. You're, suge- you're, suggesting, down. you're suggesting that Remy is really more noteworthy than we've given. I love all, all the reviews are like, I love listening with my kids. And then <laughs> <laughs> Remy may have won the gold medal in life. So, so my other favorite part about this is like, you're like, wow, we really gutted it out. Um, 
he finished like twenty third or something Good like God. that. See, he's doing something. He's doing Wait, something. He, weird no, 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 no. Okay. He didn't. He now didn't I'm not win. on Remy's side anymore. No, Remy, because if you are not in like the top five, if you, you're not, if you're not sniffing the podium, I, I gotta say, man, I, I'm I'm stepping out. It's an easy call. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. DQ. It's an easy call. <laughs> I mean, they must, when you feel the freezing <laughs> onsetting, they must have something on them, like a radio or something. They're like, you know what, guys? I'm fucking done here. <laughs> <laughs> The beauty, the beauty of cross country, they do laps. So he could he could have gone on the second to last at any lap. point. At I any mean, point. it's at ridiculous. any point he could have bailed out, and he, yet he continued. So, but he's not very good at it. I mean, he finished in the twenties. So I don't know. I mean, he was guy. in the Olympics. All I'm saying is, if he's willing to go to this sort of extreme, <laughs> he should get some sort of medal. Not a gold, not a silver, not a bronze, but some sort of participation, some kind of precious uh, medal monument to his frozen penis. Well, right. I, I'll take that under advisement. I'm not. I'm not sure. I know exactly what it would look like, but I'm not sure that Remy deserves it. Frankly. So, so I've got a very interesting update here on on friend of the program, Hank the Tank the Bear. Yes. Oh, dude, the tank. Yeah. Uh, this owns uh, Hank the Tank continues crime spree despite national focus. This is what it's about. This is what Republicans learn from uh, Hank the Tank. It doesn't matter if the national media attacks you. You got to keep going. Just do what you do. Keep on rolling. At least Hank fights. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hank fights. So, so it's the uh, Hank the Tank, a 500-pound bear, has broken into two more California homes. Please, since <laughs> since our story, listen, as long as those district attorneys are soft, Hank is going to continue. Yeah. <laughs> Hank knows what's up. Yeah, I mean, this is awesome. And also, it says the program would like to acknowledge that Tahoe is in California, not Utah. Uh, oh, we made that mistake yet? Yeah. Did uh, we? I no. don't remember. Oh. I remember. I mean, hell, remembering our recordings is a tall order. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of, I, a lot of times. Uh, it says, which definitely explains why the bear's alive and at large. Oh, so they don't. Yeah, they actually, because I think what we raised was did they not have guns? Oh, that's the point. Yeah. 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 And in California, that may very well be the case that they do not have guns. And I mean, this this makes a good point is, you know, in California, they, they basically don't prosecute shoplifting. So it's like. There needs to be a dollar amount denominated to what Hank hits up in these houses. It's like the drugstores in San Francisco. Hank's taking the show across the entire state. <laughs> Hank's just sitting in his woods right now like, these motherfuckers keep coming, don't they? <laughs> I, mean, he's, he, I mean, he is such a, he's such a majestic beast. Like, every photo of him, and he loves being photographed, too. Like, it. there's so many shots of him because he's, he's just so proud of his work. He's, he's like, a I am the most successful bear. Like, the life of a bear is to eat as much as possible for your, for your you know, wonderful nap. And he's like, look at me. I mean, look upon greatness. <laughs> he's, tru- he's truly ungovernable. Just, you know? Just, I mean, he spends a lot of time around humans. I don't I don't ever see Hank the Tank wearing a mask. No. You know? He's no. figured it yeah, out. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. No, Hank him does what he wants. That's for sure. Um, all right. Should we talk a little economy, fellas? Sure. Absolutely. Great little shot chaser to start. Uh, Biden says, my administration is using every tool at our disposal to protect American businesses and consumers from rising gas prices at the pump. As I said last week, defending freedom will have costs for us as well here at home. We'll need to be honest about that. Uh, here's your chaser. Biden misses the deadline for reporting how many jobs were lost due to canceling <laughs> Keystone Pipeline. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. They actually it's think incredible. we're complete idiots. Right. They do. Right. And, and, and that's what I'm saying is when the evidence is right there, it's, it's black and white in front of people, right? The only way that they can keep their message rolling is is by like enforcing this cognitive dissonance they're like oh you know joe biden created all these jobs people returning to work is not job creation which is 
insanity that it is being pushed not only by this administration, but the media is pushing this absolute garbage narrative that like, oh yeah, people going back to work, that's job creation. It's like, oh yeah, Friday we have huge job losses and Monday we have huge job creation. Like use your heads, people. It's I mean, unbelievable. So, but this is kind of an interesting thing. So in that bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed last year, basically the only thing that passed last year, there was a provision in it that required the administration to actually outline how many jobs were lost in the Keystone Pipeline within 90 days of its passage. 90 days was on February 13th, and they just blew right through it. Oh, I love this. Amazing, says, right? The legislation allowed Energy Department Secretary Jennifer Granholm 90 days to provide the information to Congress. And shout out Matthew Foley for all his investigating into what Jennifer Granholm is actually like. Yeah, up she's to. what she's, she's basically just on. enriching herself. She's not got doing her portfolio the job. instead of the uh, the job thing, but. Oh, God. I mean, it, it is really pretty incredible how they've handled this gas price thing, isn't it? I mean, we've got some we've got some uh, audio, I think. Oh, the Jen Psaki, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, our view is that the rise in gas prices over the long term makes an even stronger case for doubling down our investment and our focus on clean energy options. Oh, <laughs> I get what, it. That's what they're after. Right. You know what I mean? Oh. That's what they're after. They're like, listen. Working class people across the country depend on being able to drive to their jobs, to, to do their jobs. We don't care about any of those people. Uh, you just have to follow through on our ideas of what they're like a, a, a green build back better initiative, which is basically cripple America's energy independence, make us dependent on, on, on countries like Russia. No, no. They they don't want you to be able to make your own decisions for what you want to do. They want you completely dependent on the solutions that they offer. They're like, um, yeah, it's actually good that prices are going up for people. That's awesome. I mean, Jennifer Granholm said exactly what you were talking about. Hold on a second. We get that audio, too. We're working through an energy transition, and we've got to start by adding energy. And the reality is we have to take some time to get off of oil and gas. We recognize this. This is a transition. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry about your bad luck if you have a car that runs on gas. But I mean, they've been pretty clear about what this is. And with the Russia stuff, we're starting to see a clear plan. This is what the plan is. The plan is you shut down domestic energy production in this country. You know, oil and gas, fracking, all of those sorts of things. You make it so you can only get oil and gas from people like Vladimir Putin. Yep, that's right. Right, And then you can make the logical leap that the Democrats have made on Russia now with foreign policy and say, well, look, if if you don't support the Green New Deal, then you're doing the bidding of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> right. Like that's their that's where they're heading with. That this, is where they're heading. Right. It's 100 percent right. They make it impossible to have American energy in this country. They shut down Keystone XL. And then they're like, well. If I mean, you don't support our radical transformation of America's energy economy, then you're just doing the bidding of Americans at America's adversaries. Yeah, if I can't put a catalytic converter on the back of my cow's ass, <laughs> then then all of a sudden we've got a real problem. And it's the same thing of all the solar panels that they demand we put up across this country. Right. They're all made in China. Right. Just enriching China. With well, that. that was the damnedest thing. I've, you've heard me talk about it time and time again on this program, but I honestly can't get over the fact that they, in the same BBB bill, banned mining of precious metals like you'd find in Nevada and, and other places. At the same time, they mandated the technology and, and tax incentivized the technology into cars that required it, right? So the only, if, you're, if you, if you want to get a car that runs on a battery and you, know, you have a tax incentive to do so, 
They actually make it impossible to make that in the United States. You have to go to China to get those rare earths in order to are, get that's the rare where they do it. minerals. But but in the same bill, in it's the same bill, they mandate that and tax incentivize you to get the car that you actually can't get in the United States because also in the bill is a ban on the mining of the shit that they put in the car. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's they, unfucking believable. They they, they want to they want to turn us into Ukraine. They want us to be entirely dependent on another power that we have no control over so that we get to the point where someday the news starts reporting, oh, Russians are just moving into a separatist region called Alaska. (laughs) And it's it's not one of the lower 48, but we feel very good about ourselves because we got 6,000 windmills that don't work in Pennsylvania. Biden had a strongly worded letters co-signed by the Finland and (laughs) Swedish people uh, suggesting that such a move was inappropriate. It's an incursion, a minor incursion. A minor incursion. Into the United States. A minor incursion. Um, but, you know, the, the funny thing is the nexus between all of this, and I think you pointed this out first, Duncan, the nexus between Ukraine, Russia, what's happening, what we're doing with all of our economic woes, somehow the media has tried to figure out how to make the Ukraine crisis the one that's responsible for all the shit that we've been dealing for the last two years. Right. That, uh, CBS News had a tweet that said, the U.S. economy has been hit with increased gas prices, inflation, and supply chain issues due to the Ukraine due crisis. Due to the Ukraine due to crisis. the Ukraine crisis, the thing that's two weeks old. It's going to be news to the Ukrainians right. <laughs> that they are actually responsible for supply chain issues in the United States in 2020. It's, yeah. Here's the thing. Um, you know, there are a lot of, problems that have come along with the advent of social media but uh cbs has been doing this for decades they've been writing stories that they expect everybody to believe and people don't have time to consume news at the rate that their reporters are consuming news so they just sort of take it from 6 to six thirty or six thirty to 7 every night after their dinner and now people have access to information they obviously have brains they've obviously been educated they're americans and they hear what cbs is saying and everybody's dunking on them like I mean, the king of the ratio himself is sitting right here across the table from me. It was it was amazing to to see the response that they got. But again, I like I, I can't understand why they try to push the, these absolute colossal lies. And I I, I just at this, this one point, really takes the cake. I really see it as cake. just like My- they, they want to just get their people. They want to program them to the like enforcement level of you cannot disagree with the narrative. We're willing to go like they're this is so colossally unbelievable but like, like oh I don't yeah understand my how- groceries are expensive because they have to come through the ukraine <laughs> well there's a there's a great there's a great quote tweet here i got a shout out to and uh adam matthews matthews for ohio quote tweeted the cbs news article and he said putin is even more dangerous than we than thought he's readying his time machine to invade ukraine <laughs> last year <laughs> that's good stuff that's, that's good real stuff. good stuff yeah that is really great the flex capacitor brought yeah. us back <laughs> right amazing that's great all right should we play a game fellas yeah absolutely we let's play do a game. it let's play a game uh i think it's time for for our signature it's time for king of the hill who do you guys have today i think uh, smug you have doubt right that's our, right our defending champion that is right you took uh, you, in a very controversial decision i think it was unanimous like, i think i gave the people what they want yeah the crowd well that's not that's activists the people love it <laughs> i mean that's not what that's not the rule wow <laughs> way to start starting the game yeah off start, start i'm just saying like the rules of a court you don't you don't you don't pull the audience before you, you okay know, well who, who are you bringing here today <laughs> uh jennifer brainworms ruben wow heavy hitter yeah okay it's well. time for this showdown this old showdown that was sort of like made the beginning of king of the hill right the dowd ruben matchups right 
and and the people are getting what they want here. Yeah. Well, let's go ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting out of the Washington Post. Looking for a chance to reclaim her crown, Jennifer Brainworms Rubin. And now, in the red corner, fighting out of his own Twitter account, and current champion of the world, Matthew Mail Pattern Dowd. <laughs> I mean, this is going to be amazing. Dowd, Dowd has nothing but hot fire. I want to get right into it. Great. I'm ready to fire. Here we go. Uh, this is Matthew Dowd. If you are blaming Biden today for what Putin is doing in Ukraine, please take down the American flag from your home or social media account and replace it with the Russian flag. It will help us all know where you clearly stand. I say, like he's bringing back the old uh, Bush Bush take. You either with us or you're with the terrorists. <laughs> oh, it's it's great, and he, the fact that he had a hand in writing that. Yeah, it's really that's good. Um, all right, I'm gonna fight fire with fire on that. Okay. Uh, this is Ruben reacting to Biden's Ukraine speech this week. A fine speech. Serious sanctions as promised. Biden's critics who acted as stooges for Trump and Putin will still whine. They might as well put on their Team Russia shirts. <laughs> I mean, you can't compete with this. Dude, that is, this doubt is, is the real, we, real dude, uncut. I, I, I had no idea this would be round one. And like, you know, I mean, we've obviously talked about this, this the entire episode, <laughs> right? About how that, they've now figured out a new way to to say trying to be harder on Vladimir Putin is actually doing Putin's bidding. Um, gosh, those are both so good. Also, I like how, like, he get, he's so granular and boomeresque and how he's like, please take down the American flag from your home or social media account and replace it with a Russian flag. Like, yeah. Hey, if you've got the American flag on your Twitter, please take it down. And and, and this was Team Putin t-shirts? or Yeah, they might as well put on their Team Russia shirts. Oh, Team, team Russia, Russia shirts. shirts. Gosh. It's kind of a coin flip, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's the same tweet, basically. You got a um, tough decision to make. This is a tough decision. Doubt is like walk outside your home, take down that American flag. I think, I for, think for, for going against Biden, are you serious? Take down that American. I flag. think, but I think what separates, in my view, is a fine speech. A fine speech. <laughs> I think, I think the, the imagery tensions. itself of like well, so, so, uh, wear and, a Team and, Russia shirt as opposed to take I, down I, the I, American I, flag. I do. Like, can I, we compare I, the two? I do. I do see that as a difference, and that's. You know, smug. That's that's sort of my take on this. Is like the performative nature of the Dowd tweet about you know going out to your front door and taking the American flag off your home yeah, yeah. is like that's next level. It's insane. And for that reason, Dowd wins round one. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I had I knew I so I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I did some scouting on Dowd to know, and so I had to find one that was in the same same genre because mm -hmm. Ruben's got a lot to work with. But but I, I figured that he was going to get there with that one. That one's pretty bad. Um, right. She's <laughs> she's talking about uh, her advice for Biden on the State of the Union, which knowing what we know is hilarious because I'm, I'm sure like just Klain basically just emailed her what, right. what her advice right. should be. Right. <laughs> so give me something I can RT. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
So here it is. The president should begin with a reminder of where we were a year ago. With a booming economy, 6.6 million new jobs, a largely majority vaccinated, schools open. It's hard to overstate the improvements. <laughs> it's hard to overstate the improvements. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I got one even crazier than that. So, so I'm going to do the fire with fire thing right here. Matthew Dowd, happy President's Day, sisters and brothers. Let us break down the myths and spin that develops around politics and find the truth. Fact, in the last 33 years, more than 95% of all the jobs created in America were created under Democratic presidents. That's where they're running. Work for a Republican president. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the absolute sellout nature of it. I mean, the guy clearly has no loyalties to anyone. Right. I mean, you look at what he did to poor Arnold, right? (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Poor Arnold. Poor Arnold. Okay. Okay. Booming economy. Booming economy. Majority vaccinated. The, the jobs. The letting people go back to work. Schools open. Schools open. I mean, this is a second round knockout. It's hard to overstate the improvements. In the last 33 years, more than 95% of all the jobs created in America were created under Democrats. That's the thing. That's insane. It's impossible to overstate how much Matthew Dowd is, <laughs> is like swinging for the fences yeah. with that one. I think that is a two round knockout. No! Yeah, it's a rare one. It's rare. It's oh. probably rare. Oh. And, and, and I got to give credit to the judge and jury. It's not easy to be like, you know what? That is, you know, you have to end the contest. But when someone is killing somebody, he just has such you got to end it. He has such a flourish. I think part of it is, uh, he, you know, he was on the bench for a while because he was pretending that he was going to run for lieutenant governor of <laughs> Texas or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and so I I've missed him. I've missed yeah. him so bad. He has a new. He, he brings a little something extra. It's a flourish. It's a flourish. A hundred percent. I'll just share with you, my third uh, was that she retweeted an opinion piece in the Washington Post that was all about that Alice Shapiro, you know, that if you followed this oh, controversy. Oh, I- Ilya, Ilya Shapiro. Ilya Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so this was a professor that, that tweeted his, you know, he was pretty pissed off that Biden had limited his Supreme Court choices right. to just a black woman. Right, and people called him the racist yeah. for, for, for the, saying that. You know, we shouldn't judge people based on the color of their skin. Right. And right. so this opinion piece is entitled, uh, Yes, Georgetown Should Fire Academics Jesus. for a Racist Tweet. And she she <laughs> tweets it and then has in all caps, Bravo, with an arrow pointing to it. Oh, Hold on. Goodness. She added the arrow? <laughs> yeah. She, oh, my God. Dude, why did you, you play that? that? Because I figured I was going to get to round three, and that no. was my knockout. Oh. You, should, you You got to go for the kill. Man. That was my knockout. Man, that's... That was that, my I mean, knockout. that is, I'm telling you, that is bananas. No, I know. That, I, that, I was like, if I get to round three, the sucker's over. No, the, I, I like the strategy of yeah. what you were trying to do there. And I do think you had to play fire with fire. But man, I would have loved to, yeah. to see what Smug had to bring. Man. Mm. Well, it is what it is, fellas. Uh, great game. I appreciate it. It's been a while since we've had a two-round knockout. I'm going to have to lick my wounds and come up next week with a new strategy. Yeah. Um, what well, do you want to get to one of these interviews? Yeah, let's go to the first one. This this is um, this guy's really interesting. He actually was in Ottawa during the entire truckers rally. Uh, Nate Hockman is an ISI fellow at National Review. I want to welcome to the program Nate Hockman. He's an ISI fellow at National Review, and he has been in Ottawa 
covering the truckers protests uh, and rally, which we've been talking about here for a while, obviously from the ground has a very different perspective than I'm sure what's been reported. So thanks for coming on, Nate. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Good to be with you. So how was it, man? How was it up there? It was one of the craziest weeks of my life. I mean, I was up there for a little over a week uh, and I left right after the cops really moved on, uh, moved in this Friday. Uh, and what the, what the truckers had done, which it turned into, it wasn't just truckers. It was like thousands and thousands of Canadians that flocked in, was basically set up this massive festival protest in front of Justin Trudeau's door right outside of parliament, uh, which was just amazing. I mean, it was, they were serving free food and drinks. They were playing music, like all the different truck encampments had different DJ booths. So you'd like walk around and they'd have these like, you know, mini parties going around, which is amazing. Um, Truckers know how to party. They really do. And Canadians, you know, go figure actually know how to party, uh, which is a a revelation for me coming up from down South. Um, But at the same time, like it was a real protest, like they were serious. They had a a set of specific objectives and goals that they were trying to accomplish. Um, by by taking on Trudeau and these provincial governments with the vaccine mandates and the school closures and everything. So it was this perfect sort of way to give the middle finger to Trudeau, which is not just are we protesting, but we're making it fun. And we're having we're sort of bringing in thousands and thousands of people who share our political goals, but also are just going to refuse to be miserable, refuse to stay locked down and have a party right in front of parliament. Um, It was pretty much like the perfect way to protest, I think. So it seemed like it was kind of a, a slow roll in terms of what we were hearing about it, right? I mean, it, it began as that there was, you know, a handful of truckers, and then all of a sudden it became this nationwide movement. And the next thing you know, you've got Trudeau acting like a lunatic. Uh, what was the trajectory of all of that from your perspective? Right. So, I mean, the truckers rolled in January 28, 29, uh, and it began as this like specific trucker convoy with a specific goal of ending the vaccine mandates. Uh, and a lot of the truckers, by the way, are, are vaccinated. So it wasn't even like a strictly anti-vax thing. It was a freedom thing, right? It was about the fact that, I mean, I, I talked to one um, former volunteer firefighter on the ground who told me uh, he got fired from his job for refusing to show his vaccine card. And he was like, look, the government could tell me to drink a glass of distilled water. And I know distilled water is good for me, but it's on principle, they don't get to tell me to do that, right? So this was really like, the media tried to obviously paint it as this extremist, crazy fringe thing, but these guys were just standing up for basic sort of constitutional liberties. Um, but it, as it became bigger and bigger and it became more and more of a political problem for Trudeau, he got antsier and antsier. Um, and uh, one of the reasons that I think it was so frustrating for him is that it was gaining momentum. Like every single weekend, you'd have thousands of Canadians coming in to have this party and, and protest in front of uh, Parliament Hill. Um, and so at the end, he just went insane. And he, you know, invoked these emergency orders, which essentially suspends most of the Canadian constitution, their charter of rights, and then send in this militarized police force. I mean, when I was there on Friday, they had armed officers in sniper positions Holy up on the cats, top. Really? It's like j- just, just way, way over the top when you think about the fact that this is a protest whose biggest defense was honking loudly, right? Right. Like it's just, it was, it was bonkers. It was crazy. And there was no, I mean, there was never any sort of dangerous, violent activity at any point, right? I mean, it's not like yeah. there was even a, a small group of, of people who were, there was no problems from what I understand. Right. And I mean, the truckers were vividly aware, if you talk to them, the fact that Trudeau desperately wanted one of them, just one of them to be violent, right? If you can just get one of these guys you know, punching a cop in the face or harassing someone or something like th- there are a couple clips of the guys kind of, uh, you know, making fun of like the media, like MSNBC went in there and they got roasted by the truckers, which I think is kind of hilarious, you know, <laughs> kudos to them for that. Um, but, but besides that, like 
these guys, it's actually remarkable when you think about how sort of non-hierarchical and spontaneous it was and how you had thousands and thousands of Canadians coming in, not one instance of violence. Uh, it's yeah. just, I think it's really amazing. Well, Canadians are nice people, right? They are. Uh, but, no, but this is, I mean, look, it was an important point. The funny thing about Canada is they just don't have this very often, right? It's just not, it's not a, a place that, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in Canada. I got family in Canada, used to spend my summers in Canada, but it's, it's not a place that has periodic public disruption, you know, sort of constitutional rights issues that they, that they come across very often. I mean, it just doesn't have, so this was like really a unique event. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I say this as someone who has a lot of affection for Canadians. Like I love the truckers. I mean, they're, they're amazing people, but the Canadians by and large are just a much more orderly sort of rule following compliant population than Americans are. Like, I mean, right. when you think about it, like Canada's where all of the royalists and the crown royalists went after the American revolution, the revolutionary state here, the guys who like the King went up to Canada. Right. So you think about how that affects political culture. Like these are not guys who, usually have these big, you know, protests where they right. obstruct traffic and, you know, set up in front of Parliament Hill. So you really have to do something to make them angry <laughs> for these truckers to show up here, right? Like, it, I think that is really striking. And, and that's why Canada was kind of in this uproar about it, because this just does not happen usually in Canada. How do you think it plays overall? I want to get into Trudeau's response and everything in a minute. But, but how do you think that the general population of Canada views this event? So by polling, it was it was sort of 50-50, right? And again, this, I think, plays to the differences between Canada and America. Americans, uh, God love them, are a much more unruly, sort of a, a stubborn group of people. It's one of the things I love about this country, but we're kind of crazy, right? Like, you know, it's one of the reasons, like, we went to the moon and, you know, all the innovation happens here. But it also means that uh, when someone tells us to do something, our first impulse is often, why are you telling me to do that, right? <laughs> Canadians, right. Uh, someone tells them to do something, they usually do it. Right. So it's it, it was uh, that means that like these kinds of protests, I think, for a lot of Canadians, even those who might sympathize with some of their political goals, they're kind of skeptical. Right. They're a little not not sure what's what's what to make of it. But Trudeau's uh, approval rating fell six or seven points over the course okay. of the three weeks of the protests. So even though they weren't sure about the protests, they knew for sure that what Trudeau was doing was way over the top. And I think that's one of the wins that the truckers notched. So is this, when did the worm turn for Trudeau? Was it is just over time wearing, and I mean, you, you described how these protests began to grow and became basically like a festival. At some point he decides, well, the hell with it. I'm going to, I'm going to run this like a tyrant and, and throw everybody out and arrest. And, and some of the rhetoric that was coming out of the police force about yeah. what they were doing to hunt people down. I mean, it was like, again, very difficult to comprehend a country that sort of resembles America, that would just not fly in any form or fashion here. Uh, when, did, when did Trudeau just sort of pull the trigger on all that? So he invoked this emergency order, which is really when everything hit the fan, um, at, I think on Monday, like last, last week. So a little over a week ago today. Um, and what again, this is one of the things that makes me grateful to live in the United States is the emergency order effectively just makes a lot of their basic constitutional protections move. 
It's just is this loophole from the Canadian Constitution. You just can't do that here, right? As no. as much as Joe Biden and his administration have plenty of dictatorial impulses, they just you can't just suspend the Constitution, right? Like you have we have, recourse we have, court, we have courts for that, right? Yeah, it's you know it's maybe a good idea by the founders. Like maybe the you shouldn't always trust the guy in charge, right? Um, but but the Canadian system doesn't have that. So what that allowed him to do is just unilaterally freeze thousands of bank accounts. And it's not just trucker bank accounts, by the way, it's people who donated to the truckers. And it's not just people who donated to the truckers, it's the family members sometimes of people who donated to the truckers. And it's without a court order, so they can't do anything about it. Like, he just takes your money and you're, you're done, right? I mean, it's people, some of these people, like there's a single mom in rural Canada who donated, she's working a minimum wage job, she donated $50 to the convoy before Trudeau declared it illegal. So it was a completely legal thing for her to do, throws her bank account. You got it. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. What's the recourse? I mean, they just have to sit there with not, no access to their bank account. That's and, until basically until Trudeau sort of decides to take mercy on them. Yeah, it's a really sort of dictatorial authoritarian regime. Yeah. So is there I mean, even after that, so now his approval rating has fallen. I got to imagine your average Canadian is that makes them nervous, though. The dictator, yeah, the the authoritarian stuff. I think that's where you see even where some of Canadians or a healthy portion of the Canadian population isn't sure what to make of the trucker convoy. They really clearly, if you look at the sort of falling approval rating and the fact that Trudeau's Liberal Party is in total disarray right now, um, they're clearly not happy with what he's doing. Because again, okay. like the visual of this peaceful protest where people are dancing and singing and praying. Um, and serving free food to homeless people, which is what the Christian groups are doing there. Um, and then just crushing them with thousands of like armed, uh, militarized police guys in full riot gear. Like that visual is so striking. Even if the media is trying to spin these guys as extremists, the average, I think, Canadian looks at that and goes, what the heck is going on? You know, like this is not what I think living in Canada is supposed to look like. Totally. So to justify the emergency order, I've heard a, a number of explanations. The, the thing that they seem to be sort of honing in on is a disruption of supply chains, right? I mean, did you notice, is there, was there, was that a real thing? So there were some, this wasn't the Ottawa convoy. There were some other truckers in kind of like a splinter group. Like there are convoys all around Canada and yeah. there were a couple that blockaded um, trade routes between Canada and the U S now, unlike some of the left-wing protesters that have done this, they were letting through emergency vehicles. Mm -hmm. So they weren't, the most crucial stuff was still getting through. Like they were pretty conscious of that. Um, but look, it's, I mean, it's, it's reasonable to criticize shutting down trade routes. I think that's something that we criticize when the left does it. I think it's reasonable. You can have a debate about what the sort of uh, extent or limits of, of protest should be. But that was a small splinter group that got shut down pretty quickly by, um, the, by Canadian law enforcement. The guys in Ottawa weren't doing any of that. They so that, tried, of course, so it's entirely different. It was an entirely different convoy that's that mm -hmm. probably set up for very different purposes. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're, and that you're telling me was was dismantled before any of the action in, in Ottawa. Yeah, like a week and a half before. And oh. a lot of the truckers in Ottawa were not stoked on what they were doing because it was making them look bad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So what do you think that this makes now for the going forward? I mean, is there going to be any, does Trudeau acknowledge any of the discontent or does he just keep bowling forward? Oh, of course not. Uh, he's doubled down, right? Which is what people like Trudeau do uh, because they think that their entire sort of ideology is just that they should be in charge and that these people sort of exist at their pleasure. Uh, I mean, there is, he's, he's gotten more and more insane. Like he accused uh, this Jewish woman in the conservative party 
of uh, standing with people who wave swastikas. And she's oh. descended, she's descended from, you know, literal victims of the Holocaust, right? Like it's just, he's, he's totally flailing. Um, and I think that's what you see with a lot of Canadians sort of not, uh, not, not really um, being particularly pleased with what he's doing, but the truckers also did notch some real victories. Like in the three weeks that they were there, five provinces got rid of their vaccine mandates. Alberta got rid of their school masking policy. Canada got rid of some of its really onerous border restrictions, which is what the truckers were originally upset about. So it's actually pretty remarkable when you think about what they achieved in a short amount of time. There's a lot of really bad stuff going on for sure, but they also really had a huge effect on Canadian politics. Yeah, no kidding. So what do you think this means for American politics? Because now there's you know talk of a trucker convoy coming to Washington, D.C. and everything else. Um, what do you think about that? Well, the trucker convoy, I think the first trucks are getting to D.C. this week, but the plan is to get here right in time for Biden's State of the State Union of the address, year. which I just think is delicious. It's the perfect sort of you know framing, right? It's like a, this, this president who's rapidly losing control, not just of his country, but of the sort of international world order in his own doorstep, you know, can't even, you know, uh, control sort of like basic dissent here. Like the visuals are going to be, I think, fantastic. And that in and of itself is great. Uh, but it's going to be very different. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. Um, but the the truckers here, I mean, they're part of this sort of gigantic international global freedom movement that the convoy in Canada has sparked. You have convoys across the West now from Australia to New Zealand to uh, Israel to Finland. I mean, countries that you never think of as being sort of uh, as having this this demographic truckers everywhere are standing up and saying enough is enough. It's really right. awesome to see the, the American one um, fire up because I think what, what we're fighting here is uh, very similar to what truckers in Canada are fighting in across the West. Like all of these guys have been subjected to the same restrictions, the same attacks on their liberty. Um, and all of a sudden, all of them in unison are linking arms and, and, uh, and standing up. It's, it's pretty beautiful, actually. Are you going to be covering the, uh, the truckers here? I am. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see when they roll in. Uh, I think, like I said, like the first sort of arm of the convoy is getting here this week, but I think it's like two or three weeks. I think early March, I think, is when the sort of they're all planning to converge um, and it's going to be chaos. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, <laughs> tons of yeah. trucks in D.C. Listen, Nate, you got to keep us updated on this. Uh, you've done great work. We can find your work at National Review and, and anywhere else. And you have other other spots that you've been working out of. Yeah. I mean, I post all of my work wherever I write on Twitter. So you can just follow me at N-J-H-O-C-H-M-A-N. Perfect. Nate Hockman, thank you so much for, for this info and stay in touch. I'd love to hear more about it. All right. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. So look, Nate, Nate is uh, obviously a smart guy. He's a good reporter, but I, I just found it really interesting to get the on the ground take because you, you hear such bullshit. Yep. Yep. From the from the you know the media about what this is all about, and the one thing that he dispelled for me is that it was all about uh, the justification for these emergency orders that Trudeau, Trudeau was having was that they were disrupting supply chains and that they'd stopped border crossings and stuff like that. And what Nate's saying is that that all that was taken care of weeks ahead of when the emergency powers actually yep. went into place. So it was like a complete bullshit justification. Yeah. Amazing. It's unbelievable. Scary you know, stuff. These are, these are folks throughout the pandemic who are getting everybody their groceries. They were, they were like the lifeblood of countries. Right. Getting supplies across. And, and that they were treated like this is just, it's unbelievable. Totally amazing. Trucker convoy. I hear one's coming to D.C., so we'll see about that. Um, let's get to our other. So this is, we've done almost everybody in Pennsylvania. It's a big race. Got a lot of candidates. A lot of candidates. We're doing our best. We're doing our very best. <laughs> This is a particularly interesting one to me because she gets no credit in the mainstream media. Like, they don't even list her as a candidate, basically. But she's a fascinating public figure in so many different ways. Kathy Barnett. 
I want to welcome to the program a very interesting woman who is running for Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania, Kathy Barnett. Kathy, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, look, you got a crowded field that you're running in. Uh, it, we've talked to a bunch of them, but this is an important, important race. And uh, it's one that obviously Republicans have to have if they're going to re- retain and regain the majority. Um, what brought you to this Senate race? Because I must. We must. <laughs> Good people must get off the sidelines. You know, we often I hear people always quoting this Edmund Burke quote. The only thing that is necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. And for too long, good people, we've just been living our lives, paying our bills, (laughs) sending our kids off to school, trying to retire. And as a result, we've created a vacuum. And in that vacuum, some of the most despotic and ridiculous individuals with their equally ridiculous ideas have filled that void. And that is what we've been living under for the past two years. I mean, I had no idea our country was in the state that it is in. Um, But when I began to, you know, obviously, you know, some things, you know, politics is dirty. But I don't think any of us knew that things were going to get this bad this quickly. We knew we knew it was going to be bad under the Biden and Democrat rule, but we didn't know it was going to be this bad. And yet look at where we are. Our country is in a nosedive. People often ask me, what's your number one issue? And trying to pick one issue is like trying to drink from a fire hydrant. Everything is on fire right now. There is a laundry mess. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got interested in politics and, and, you know, sort of where you started getting ingratiated into the larger political apparatus, right? Because it takes a lot to actually run for something, right? There's there's many of us who have been following politics. All of our listeners follow it very closely, but it takes another level to actually put your name on a ballot, which you have ultimately done here. Tell us about your background. Yeah. Well, I grew up on a pig farm in Southern Alabama. I grew up below the bottom rung of the economic ladder. I grew up in a home with no insulation, no running water, an outhouse in the back and a well on the side. When I say poor, I mean, we could not afford the other O. We were just po. (laughs) But no one ever looked at me um, as bad as things were. No one ever looked at me and called me a victim. No one ever looked at me and said, Kathy, because you're black, because you're a woman, because you're poor, all the odds are against you. And so I became the first in my family to go and finish college. I spent 10 years in the U.S. military where I was accepted into officer candidacy school, spent time in the financial industry working with A.G. Edwards and Sons and Bank of America Capital Asset Management, worked in um, the Comptroller's Department uh, of JCPenney in uh, Plano, Texas, adjunct professor of corporate finance, author of my first book that went number one on Amazon in the midst of a pandemic. So praise God for Amazon, right? That's right. COVID COVID didn't mess with large large box (laughs) industries. And so praise God, Amazon stayed open when everything else around us started shutting down. I um, homeschooled my kids for the past uh, six years prior to deciding to run um, uh, in public office and for the first time in 2020, a uh, political commentator, a whole lot of different journeys along the Born way. A lot of hats, Kathy. That, I mean, a that, lot of journeys. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm running for U.S. Senate. Go figure. <laughs> Only in America. 
All of America, do you hear this kind of story where someone starts underneath a rock and be able to claw themselves from underneath there? I know exactly why I'm running. I mean, we are about to lose the greatest country that has ever existed. We are literally one decision away. Democrats are working on a whole hodgepodge of uh, bills and and, um, and, and and different legislation, they only need one. They don't need all of them. They just need one. And this Tennessee happens to be one of them. So I know exactly why I'm running. We're about to lose the country, that America that allowed this little black girl to be able to create a new life for herself. That America is fast coming to a close. And, um, you know, and so therefore with all of these different journeys and all of this perspective, I was always very interested in, policies. I hate politics. I wrote my book before I knew I would I would ever run for office. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have put half the stuff in there that I did. <laughs> it's always the way it works, right? But too late. <laughs> it's already out there. <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, I mean, you, I mean, I have a very healthy disdain for politics and politicians. I believe, I actually believe they should work for us, right? And yes. that we should hold them accountable. And all throughout my book, that's what I talked about. But policy, I download policies for date night. Literally, my husband and I are having date night. I'm reading to him about policy. I'm sure he loves that. Very romantic. <laughs> he knew it before he married me. I've always been this way. So he can't complain. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, so I've always been about policy. I never thought I would run for a political office. It was not on my bucket list, but it truly was the immigration issue that caused me. I was homeschooling my daughter. She, we were sitting on the floor. She was doing geography and I had just downloaded uh, at the time, late 2019, Democrats have put forward um, their idea of, of immigration reform is called the new way forward. And at that time, private citizen, just reading, I downloaded it. So now I'm reading it while uh, while my daughter is practicing her geography. And as I read through it, for the, I mean, it's this heightened level of awareness that we are about to lose our country. Everything we are watching right now take place at our southern border. They talked about it in that New Way Forward bill. You can go out there and Google it. It is still out there, 2019. It was their bill. We're now watching it. And guess what, people? It gets worse. Mm. What we're watching right now is not even halfway through that policy page. But it will just increase awareness that... You know, although I'm doing a lot, I, you know, am in the military, ready to lay my life down for this country. I'm out here debating. I was at Fox News for several years and also a writer for Fox News. So always vigorously debating and discussing policy. But I recognize at that time in late 2019 that I needed to find a new way to engage. And by the grace of God, he planted a seed. And here I am in politics. And you're right. This is no easy feet at all. And yet we are doing it very well. And um, overwhelming majority of the polls, my campaign is in the top two of every single one of those polls. And so, um, and I am you, I am the closest thing to you running uh, for such a high seat. I need you. I need all of your listeners to go to barnettforsenate.com and I need you to donate. I have carpetbaggers who have parachuted into our state 
you will never, if they win, you will never see them again. And if they lose, you will never see these people again. They that, have no interest about, in actually supporting you. You're talking about uh, McCormick and Oz? Yes, I have three. But yeah, McCormick and Oz seems to be getting most of the attention, but Carla Sands um, as well. Carla Sands, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's a it's a crowded field. Tell me about I'm sure that you've been on the ground going to meetings, talking to people. Tell me about how the race is going. I, I imagine people in Pennsylvania are pretty fed up with the Biden administration, as we all are, and they're eager for some change. What's what's it feel like on the ground? It's very encouraging, actually, on the ground. Right. Politics aside. Right. You have the establishment and the politics and all of that. But let me tell you, we have some of the best people in our party. And I have had the wonderful privilege over the last 10 months of running this race to spend an exorbitant amount of time with all of them. We, uh, for the past two months, we've been traveling over a thousand miles a week. And before these two months, we were already hitting about 900 miles a week. And we've been keeping this pace for the entire, for the duration of the 10 months that we've been in this campaign. So I've had innumerable opportunities of getting in front of the people, hearing them, talking to them. Uh, people feel squeezed. People feel unnerved. People feel as though we're in a pressure box. Um, and I believe it is not by accident. I believe this is exactly where uh, the left want our people to be, is to feel is to feel hopeless. And yet, over a thousand miles a week, and in every single room I walk into, about half the people are have never been involved in politics before 2020. They are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. They are not political junkies. They are involved because they are awake, truly awake, not that liberal awake, but they are truly awake and they recognize that something is fundamentally wrong with how our country is being governed right now. They feel it. It is not something in theory any longer. They feel it at their kitchen table, how they want to parent their children being labeled domestic terrorists, being forced to get a jab or you lose your job, uh, people being placed on ventilators, uh, one size fit all with these COVID um, mandates and regulations, no, no accommodation for nuances, no conversation about therapeutics. If you, if you say something or question something, people want to marginalize you. People feel the pressure right now. And so on the ground, it is amazing. It's very exciting and it's exhilarating. Um, as exhausting as it is traveling a thousand miles a week, it is also very um, encouraging to see so many new faces, so much new blood coming into the party. Um, and, and what's really encouraging is that I am having people who have traditionally leaned left or voted Democrat their entire life now uh, switching over uh, and, and, and changing their party um, affiliation to Republicans so that they can vote for me in the primary. I've gotten that from the Horn of Africa. Your, your listeners may be aware, those are those who come from um, Sudan, Somalia, Ethiopia, Eritrea. There's about 100,000 of them here in Pennsylvania, highly concentrated between Harrisburg and Philadelphia. I've met with them four times. The last two times they have done what they call change your registration party, where they are requiring their people to change their registration from Democrat to Republican 
Republican so that they can vote for me in the primary. Um, I had about an hour and a half between meetings up in Scranton. That's the Northeast portion of Pennsylvania. I met with about 30 Black men, talked to them for 30 minutes. The next 30 minutes, they all changed their voter registration, except for one. You can go on Facebook and see that. I walked into a room full of Amish people. Uh, as on Facebook, you can see that video of them walking me in and introducing me as the person who shares their values. Uh, Amish came out really big for Donald Trump in 2016. I am the only candidate that has that appeal that can go into every nook and cranny of this uh, commonwealth. It's gonna take more than just money. Money is important. So again, I need all of y'all to go to Barnett for Senate and donate, even if you're donating, if a thousand people uh, donated $10, that's huge. If a million people donated $10, that is huge. This is not just about me trying to figure it out. This is our country. And I am your best chance at ever getting anyone in office who will actually listen to you, who will actually fight for you. You need me as much as I need you. We need each other right now. And I need you to help me. Please your go story, to barnettforsenate.com. Your story is so fascinating to me. And I imagine that's probably a lot of your entryway into some of the communities that you were talking about is that you've lived their lives, right? You, you've come from nothing. You've had an incredibly successful professional career, and now you, you're you seeking their vote and, and going into communities that typically don't support Republicans, right? And I, I think, you know, it's interesting to watch this happen throughout the country. There's many folks who I think have, have found a voice for the first time to sort of challenge conventional wisdom and, and change party registration and see you know, people like you, frankly, that look like them, that have their background, that that all of a sudden are like, hey, you know what? Democrats haven't done a damn thing for me. I mean, I, I imagine you encounter that everywhere. Yes, let me tell you. And that's one of the things I lead with. I mean, I only have one face. This face you see now will be the exact same face you would see in the general. I won't be pivoting a whole lot on anything. In fact, in 2020, uh, here in Montgomery County, right outside of Philadelphia, it's extremely liberal. Um, but I was running a race and I needed to get in front of a large number of people. And at that time, uh, we were having Black Lives Matter rallies everywhere. So they would not invite me to come and speak. Go Weird. figure. I'm Weird. black. I, that's strange, I'm, right? I'm, I wonder the wrong why. Kind, I'm the wrong kind of black person, right? I'm conservative. How, infuri so, how infuriating is that to you? You know what? I recognize it. Let me tell you something. Uh, these black gatekeepers, they couldn't stand me. <laughs> because one. I'm black. I don't need a black gatekeeper to give me access to the black community. So we just started showing up at these Black Lives Matter rallies. Again, we filmed it all. It's out there on Facebook. I would just show up, walk up on the stage, take the mic and say, what are you going to do? I'm black. I'm going to speak. And I would just start talking. And black people love it. Black people are not special little unicorns. Wait. We want exactly what everyone else wants. We want safe streets. We want good schools. We want good jobs. We want home ownership. There's nothing, you know, you don't have to have kid gloves dealing with black people. The problem is, is that Republicans don't generally go into these communities for whatever the reason may be. They don't go into these communities. And so it's left, you know, up for Democrats grab to go in and all Democrats come in selling is victimhood. And so when you have someone like myself come in and say, wait a minute. I dare to find somebody who was poorer than me. <laughs> I, mean, 
<laughs> I mean, I don't want that to be a competition, but I mean, truly, if I mean, you can carve out a life for yourself. And that is what I'm, that is what, that's my message. I don't care where I am. I don't care who you are. You can build a life here. And if you have a life already because you grew up in, you know, greater privileges than I did, which has nothing to do with the color of one's skin. But my children today, I'm a black woman married to a black man raising black babies. My babies are far more privileged than I ever was. right? And I'm grateful to God and I'm unapologetic about it. But if you want this life, if you want to maintain, if you recognize that this country is the greatest country and that there is nowhere else you and I can flee. Most of the world, the overwhelming majority of the world, when their countries become totalitarian or commun communism come in, they flee to America. There is no America for you and I to flee to. This is our stand. This is the fight. If there was ever a fight you wanted to get in, this is it. But if you're sitting around waiting for the uh, Pennsylvania GOP or the na national GOP to pick your candidate, we're going to get exactly what we've already gotten. And that hasn't fared very well for us. I am your best chance, but I need your help. I need you to go to barnettforsenate.com and I need you to donate. You got a compelling pitch, Kathy. I'll be honest with you. This is, <laughs> I can tell you've been working on this because it's good. It's really good. Yeah, I'm like this. Like this is foolishness. Think about what we just been, what we lived through these past two years. Now think about what's about to happen. You have Biden and the Biden administration. I mean, he's an incompetent little man who has surrounded himself with very inferior talent. And they have ginned up a war between Russia and Ukraine. And they are telling us we need to engage in protecting the sovereignty of Ukraine's border while our border is wide open. We're on track right now of having 4 million unlawfully present people enter in through our southern border. And those are just the ones we've come in contact with. It says nothing about the ones we know nothing about. But while we're over here fighting for Ukraine, here we have China. I believe China's about to do a Hong Kong on Taiwan. And over in Taiwan, we actually have a strategic national interest to be involved in, in maintaining uh, what we have already there in Taiwan. As much as I love everybody and I wish we could all have peace, we do not have a significant nat national interest in protecting the border of Ukraine, but we do in Taiwan. So imagine if we get ourselves embro embroiled into a, a battle between Ukraine and Russia. Now we got to jump over here and try to protect the sovereignty of Taiwan and the South China Sea, which gives us um, access also to the Pacific Ocean, because that's ultimately what China wants is to continue to expand westward. Imagine us trying to fight two full-scale invasions and what that will do uh, on thinning out our resources as well as our allies. We need to be, again, keep our head on a swivel. 
These are serious times, and we need serious candidates, not those three carpetbaggers who are parachuted into my county who are just looking for, you know, this is just something on their bucket list. Why not? They're very narcissistic, and they're opportunists. They care nothing about the people here in Pennsylvania. So we need to keep our head on a swivel and make me viable. And you get to do that and helping me to, to get pe better people into office. All right, Kathy, that's that's a compelling. I love the clarity. I love and I love the smack talk too. We like that on Ruthless. That's good. We like don't change it. Don't change it. Ruthless. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I got three big questions for you. And okay. these are, you know, we're going to get to know you a little bit with this. Let's go. The first one is if you could pick your last meal on earth, what would it be? I grew up on a pig farm. I don't eat pork, but I, I was going to say, if you grow up on a pig farm, pork's probably not on the map. I don't know. Maybe it is. Yeah. Listen, there's a reason why when I grew up, people died roughly around 50, 55, right? Eating all that pork is not good. There was a number of aneurysms and high blood pressure and all of that. So decided um, as an adult that I would not eat pork, right? But I love pork. So <laughs> if, gonna, if that's the last day on earth, might as well. That's right. You have nothing to nothing to live for beyond that. Pork and bread, pork and carbs. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, might as well slide in sideways with that. I like that. Uh, all right. So second question. If you never got yourself involved in politics and listen, we listened to your entire resume, which is incredible. And you've done accomplished amazing things. But if you weren't setting time in your life to do what you're doing right now, what else would you like to do? And can it be anything? Yeah, um, I would probably spend way more time with my family right now. Um, prior to jumping into this race, um, my family had un—they um, had unlimited access to mommy, right? Uh, I was homeschooling my children. I loved it. It wasn't on my bucket list of things to do that either. But I recognized about seven years ago what we're what most people are just waking up to today. This is the reason why I stepped out of the um, out of the corporate environment, um, out of my out of, you know, I wanted to rule the world when I was in corporate America. But then I had children and I began to pay attention and began to see this liberal takeover, this indoctrination that's going on. Um, my daughter was in kindergarten. My son was in third grade. And it became very clear to me that I that my to my husband and I that we needed um, a, a different option for our family. And so I put my own career on pause and I began to focus on the thing that matters the most to me. And that is my family and what kind of children uh, we decided we wanted to raise. And so if I wasn't doing this tomorrow, <laughs> I would be with my babies. Oh, that's well said. Very well said. Um, okay. So third and final question. And this is a little, this is a little like socio, like some analysis that it's done in this question. Um, the question is what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? But let me explain what that means to us. The thrill of victory is like the sunny optimist are always charging up the hill, you know, trying to prove to themselves basically what they're trying to accomplish. The agony of defeat persons like Michael Jordan, right? Every setback that they've ever had in their life, they wear it like a backpack and they just vow to never repeat it. Right. And so it, what motivates you more? Is it is it the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? The agony of defeat. Yeah, I figured that was coming. <laughs> we, yeah. I mean, this is game over time. Yeah. <laughs> this is come big or go home time, right? Our nation is on the bubble. 
So I, I'm very, I'm acutely aware of that. Kathy, listen, I can't thank you enough for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure of an interview. It's very nice to meet you and keep us updated. We're going to watch Pennsylvania very closely here on the Ruthless Variety program. And I imagine we'll be seeing your name associated with it quite a bit in the coming months. Thank you very much. Take care. Wow. What an interview. I mean, she's, she's great. She's really great. And, and, and I'll be honest, like if it's a TV ad war, she's not going to win. Right. But for the people who get to see her on the ground, I got a feeling she's going to do pretty well. I mean, she is, she's a tough customer. Right. A lot of energy behind A lot of campaign. energy spitting hot fire. Very inspiring. Yeah. 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 We'll have to keep an eye on that. Nobody else is talking about it except for the Ruthless Variety program. So we're going to have to see where that campaign takes her. Well, that's what I love is we get all the candidates on here, you know, sing for your supper, let the folks decide. They can hear straight from, straight from the, from, straight from the horse's mouth. So absolute banger of an episode gentlemen and very happy to get that w in the second round uh, <laughs> so until next time minions keep the faith hold the line and own the lives we'll see you on tuesday stay ruthless <laughs>